got a couple of questions here. This is interesting, both referencing the Jazz Chords for Beginners course that we put out earlier this spring. It's a very popular course, and so I'll just take a swing at these. Kevin says, should I work on the Jazz Chords for Beginners course all the way through before moving on? So that's really up to you, Kevin. The answer is not necessarily, but also possibly. It depends on on where you want to spend your time. The courses that we make here are not meant to just be taken like a movie and then, you know, done and done. That's not how it works to learn things, Kevin. Right. So don't feel like you have to do everything of, on the course before moving on to something else. Or don't feel like that you have to uh, vary your practice if you're not feeling it. Just kind of do wherever your interest goes. If you are getting bored with just working on chords, well, it's time to switch up. Like the important thing is that you practice today. That's number one, right? right. Just do some kind of practice. This course, though, can be used uh, again and again and again. And in fact... When you kind of go through the initial ideas of it, even if you don't go through every key, which is, you know, we all preach is great for you. When you come back to it a few weeks or a few months later and you start hitting all the other keys, it's going to hit a little different. Like you're going to understand some concepts that just take time to seep in. And so things are going to change. And that's when things really start to get interesting and really start to get good. So I would say, Kevin, if if you're... If you're still super interested, if you still have that beginner's mind about it, then stick with it. If you're ready to move on, don't feel guilty like you're leaving things on the table. Remember, uh, these courses can be used again and again. You can come back at any time. And in fact, it's good sometimes to switch it up and then come back to it. And then down below, Jazz Evolution says, should I learn voicings that I like, like the so what voicing, or is it wiser to start with the voicing from the beginner's chord course to have a solid foundation. So my answer to that is why not both? Why not just learn a bunch of voicings that you like? I mean, yeah. you can go through that uh, jazz course for beginners and pick two or three voicings that you like. And that could yeah. be what you work on all month. And you know what? You would be a better player for it. Yeah. And so, I, th- I you know, the connection I see between both these questions um, is a little bit, um, you know, about the order. And we could apply this to the order of learning anything, be it open studio courses, be it um, scales. I mean, obviously, we look at like a certain order of like major to minor being a little bit more logical to learn. But then once you get into, say, the advanced scales and the advanced arpeggios and different um, advanced harmonic things, it it does become like, well, what's the order? I don't think it I, I, I think this is what you were saying there, too, in terms of why not both it doesn't really matter the order either. So people get hung up on that because when you're starting out, the order does matter more than you get more advanced. So if you think about if you're a a chef, if you're trying to learn how to cook, you're starting with some basic ingredients and like basic seasonings probably, maybe salt and pepper. I don't know. You got to learn that. I'm so basic, I can barely handle that. Salt, fat, acid, heat, man. That's Those are the ingredients. That's what you need. Okay. Have you heard of that book? Salt, fat, acid, heat? I've seen it. Yeah, I don't don't know what it's about. Okay. Is it Dr. Michael Greger approved? It is not. No, but it just breaks down. To, I mean, it breaks down some of the things we talk about, like in elements of jazz piano, how it's like, you know, rhythm, rhythm melody, harmony, oh, yeah. salt, fat, acid, heat. It kind of goes across ingredient. All right. the ingredients have either salt, fat, acid, or heat. And it's a combination that you use of those. That, no, it makes so much sense. And so it's like, yeah, when you're getting those basics and then, you know, so you might look at your spice cabinet and it's like salt and pepper, but then you get into, you know, garlic powder maybe and, and cinnamon and all these different things. So it becomes less like you don't want to start out your first uh, seasoning as cayenne pepper because you're not going to know how to use it and it's dangerous, you know. <laughs> but used correctly in the right amount, so it's a more of a sophisticated thing. So as you're as you're moving along and starting to learn these things, the order doesn't matter as much. But you want to introduce them 
and stay with them long enough. And to your you know question, Kevin, about how long to stay with you know jazz piano for beginners. Um, no, what was it? Jazz jazz chords. Jazz chords. Jazz chords for beginners. Yeah. But any of the courses, it's like you don't have to master any of those necessarily, but you want to kind of use some discernment when you are getting enough because you can come back to it. So you've got your cinnamon, you got your cayenne pepper that you've tried out and you've learned some, you'll come back to it later when you're feeling better about combining these things because all the content we do is evergreen. And, and the great thing about jazz and the, and I think the evolution and the revolution of jazz uh, and, and how it continues to evolve every day, hopefully, because this art form is alive, um, is that we're building upon, we're reinventing things that have happened before. We're recycling, we're renewing, we're refreshing all these things all the time so we can revisit them in a way that is really beneficial. So as soon as you kind of pass that beginner stage, that's when you can stop worrying, I think, as much about the order and 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 feel like don't feel like, oh, I'm I'm learning this out of order. Noriko says, question. Every time I join the jam sessions and when it comes to the drum solo, I lose count and can't hit the first note to return on the right time. Any tip to count for any kind of drum solo? So First tip, and Noriko, how's it going? Noriko's a, a daily guided practice session member and frequent uh, practicer. And, you know, one thing we talk about in there is listening to a lot of drum solos. You know, we talk about Max Roach. We talk about Philly Joe Jones. We talk about Art Blakey. We talk uh, about the heavyweights. We talk about heavyweights. But we talk about listening to those kind of players who play simply. Yeah. Not, not, not basic, but simply and are easy to hear their yeah. solos. Uh, Noriko, the more you listen to those, and you know what I keep saying, I'm going to make a Spotify playlist. I'm going to make a Spotify playlist of some great drum solos for that. Note to self, make Note Spotify. Note to self, make a Spotify. Because <laughs> it is really, there's nothing better for us. Um, and there's no getting around that. Like you can count all day long. Right. But if you're not feeling where the drummer is placing it, and and I love Colleen says, Noriko, blame it on the poor drummer. There's right. something to that, actually. Yeah, like, yeah. great drummers will not try to lose you. They will actually make it fairly clear, even when they're doing complex things over the bar or superimposing things, it's not going to be, it's not going to, they're not going to try to lose you, right? So if you understand some basic rhythmic language, Noriko, if you can really get it, like, ingrained in you, it's going to be a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, for sure, the, 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 the drummer, don't beat yourself. I mean, up too much about this, because as soon as I read your question, I was thinking about um, how spoiled I am playing with some really great drummers, but then being at different jam sessions when sometimes it'll be a great drummer, like you're surprised or whatever. But sometimes, I mean, it, it's it's on the drummer, really. It's their responsibility to bring you in, to bring everybody in. That doesn't mean that they have to be like, ba -da -ba -da -ba 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 -ba, and make it obvious. Mm -hmm. That's not the only way. That's like one of the least sophisticated and least interesting ways to bring somebody in. But I mean, you could talk about like Brian Blade, who can play these amazing like rolling trading, either trading fours or just solos where you're going to come out of it. They're over the form. They're not free solos. Um, and... And, and so you're saying you lose count. And Brian Blade is so good at this too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like He's he can play some it. of the most sophisticated stuff, but you don't have to count it. And like you might think, oh, well, that's just because you know his stuff. Yeah, I do know his stuff, and I've played with him a lot, but it really isn't that. It's it's him. Like his way of outlining the form, it's, it's so unobvious, but obvious at the same time. And so I think that sometimes with lesser drummers – 
less experienced drummers, less skillful drummers, you do have, we have to work harder to count and stuff. So, so when you lose count, it is hard to come back in, but what you got to do, it's, it's like that way of counting too, where you're counting, but you're not so rigid that you're locking them. Like you could count perfectly. And if the drummer doesn't have great time, you've got to feel where they're pushing or pulling. You have to know, like look for clues of where they're playing something with the form. Unless they're, sometimes they're just not playing a form. So don't even waste your time counting. Just wait till they come back in. And hopefully those are the kind of drummers that need to do. Yeah. Yeah. If they're polite, they're going to be like, uh, 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 uh. Another tip for this, Enrico, that I, I like to bring up, like I like how you said you have to listen. Like, first of all, knowing some phrasing, you'll be able to tell then when someone's rushing or dragging a lot. Right. You're like, oh, that's that phrase, but it's way behind the beat. Um, but also listen to the kick drum. That's something that I think gets overlooked. But that kick drum, if they're, again, they have to be kind of a good drummer, but they're going to set you up on the one. They're going to start phrases and end phrases with that kick drum or at least give you some indication. Yep. What what's going on with a kick drum? I find that that's kind of the thing that we we tend to gravitate right towards the the ride cymbal or yeah. the snare drum. But if you can lock in on the kick drum during a solo, yeah, and the hi hat and the hi hat, exactly, yeah. yeah. You then when you get those feet, like lock in on their feet, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna feel their foundation, right? You know, or lack of, <laughs> or lack of, exactly. which is what it is sometimes. But you're still gonna have a better clue into, you know, even if they're a little bit off as to where they are. And and I would say even. Um, like find that thing, you know, kick drum, hi hat. Maybe they're not playing those at all. Maybe it is on on the like you have to use it as an opportunity to learn how to find out what you have to lock into, whatever the skill level of the drummer is, as quickly as possible. And then sometimes too, you can kind of look at like maybe the drummer's a little weaker, but the bass player is really strong. So during the drum solo, believe me, if you as a pianist are worried about what's going to be happening and feel like you lose count. The bass player is probably really worried because they got, I mean, we can always be like, oh, I wasn't hearing anything, so I yeah. didn't come right in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the bass player, like, so sometimes you can look at him or her, and the bass player, that is, and be like, kind of start to see what where they're feeling things and where they're going to come in, you know, work together kind of thing. Yeah, they're great at that. Yeah. Thank, thank God for the bass players. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Evan says, what should I do when I feel like my improvising has become very repetitive? Sounds like I just keep playing the same thing over and over. How do you suggest I can help with that or Evan? fix it? Evan, he's up there. Oh, yeah. I see it. I see it. See it? Nice. So, man, this is something we've talked about a little bit in here. And there, there's a couple things with this, Evan. So, first of all, I'm, I'm about to give you some, like, solid practice things to do that are, like, drills. And so, I want to just put a caveat on this that the goal with this is really to be able to play what we hear inside and to get that music that's inside of us a clear path to the instrument however but i knew there was a but coming yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just want to clarify that before because we're going to do some very restrictive practice here right? right and but this can be this can be really helpful for this specific thing that you're dealing with which is common it's common to feel like i, I remember when i was in high school i always would start like all my phrases i heard a recording of myself and everything was like Everything was starting on the end of the right. You know what I mean. And I, was I love like, that when you when you, I gotta when, stop doing that. When you demonstrate stuff like this, you get like Adam, <laughs> little boy, look on like like this like look of 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 wonderment, statue. But you know, I like that. Lame, right? lame, You're a good lame. actor. So um, one thing that we can do, Evan, is is sort of when you practice improvising, think of a cycle that you want to do. Now you could do a number of different things here. Sometimes I like to think about starting um, with like long notes and going shorter and shorter and shorter. Sometimes I like to think about just doing something different with every 
phrase. So let's practice that. What does that look like? When we want to get out of repetition and think of new things, what does that look like? Peter, can you do that intro that we were doing, just that D7, yeah. the G7? So Peter's going to lay down a fat, funky groove here. And what I'm going to do is cycle through a number of options here. So I'm going to start, like, this could either be, like, eighth notes could be one option triplets could be one option chords as in playing multiple notes because i play piano could be one option trills could be one option or or we'll put in like this kind of stuff right um what else could be an option like playing out could be an option all these things i'm gonna like cycle through in my mind so like one phrase i'm gonna stick with eighth notes the next phrase may be triplets next phrase chords can be as long as I want maybe next phrase then playing out and triplets then chords then uh, trills chords Then eighth notes. Then long notes. Then out. Then chords. See what I'm saying? So it's a little formulaic if we just do it just like that where I'm calling it, but it's a great way to sort of get out of our heads of just... <laughs> you don't have that sense of wonderment anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though. It's it's yeah. just a little exercise. Again, you wouldn't necessarily want to do this on the gig, although I have to say I've done mm-hmm. it. I've used it. Depends on what, if no one's listening. No one's see. listening. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm feeling a little stale, I'd be like, I'm just going to switch it up every yeah. every phrase and just see what happens. Because sometimes you can really spark some cool things. But as an exercise, right, as like a meta exercise, we're not thinking about scales or anything like that. We're just thinking about like, how can I change up my phrasing with each phrase? Yeah, and I think it's, you know, what, what you're kind of caveat at the beginning, I think, was important but what's warranted about this kind of practice is that us playing what we feel that's the goal right what you're talking about what you just laid out is a specific practice technique in order to help get to that goal that's like one element that's like specific tangible things that you can do um you know i we want to clean up our whole house okay no one can clean up their whole house at one time it's like okay what is the specific thing that i can do in every room yeah that i can go in like maybe it's 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 vacuum the floor of every room but you're not like trying to do everything in one room and then move on to the next you're using something that can develop a number of different parts you're playing and going through so our our goal is not to be able to play what we hear when we practice Mm. it's to be able to play what we hear when we perform yeah yeah so these and that's how people get kind of caught up and and their their repertoire growth gets stunted not even the rep that like well their repertoire of ideas and it's like that whole mindset of like how do you create something like how do you practice on a bunch of things that will start to develop your ear and your mind and your technical ability to the point that you might be able to create something in here or something, you yeah. know? And I, I think that people get a little confused with that with the restrictive practice because they're like, wait, well, I'm not playing what I'm hearing. I'm playing these specific things that are um, a little bit uh, pre-planned. 
And so it's counterintuitive. But that's the exact kind of things that you have to practice so that it can start to come out automatically later. Well, yeah, sometimes you just have to hear yourself doing things, right? So that you can hear it later, right? Like, so I know that I can pull out this button when I when I when I'm hearing it. I might go to Vegas. That's a good one for pulling. That's exactly right. But you could do this in a different way. Let's do one more. Okay. because here's a here's like a more. This is a little bit more natural way. Someone had mentioned singing what you play, which is a, a great thing to do for sure to get that music out. It's a little bit more advanced though, if you're because if all you're hearing is repetitive stuff, all you're going to play is repetitive yeah. stuff. So what if we took the same idea of trying to mix it up, but instead of thinking about specific musical things, let's go one level up and let's think about specific textures or even emotions, right? Like if I if we're playing this. And I wanted to do like head bobby, right? You know what that is, like hey. I can think head bob. What does head bobby sound like, or what? What does sparkly sound like? You know what I mean? What is what does dark sound like in this context? What is dark? Right? What does what does like modern angular sound like? Like thinking about that and in our practice routine, like what is what does joyful sound like? Eddie Green, what? Yeah, it's got a lot of joy. Hey, Charles. But that kind of thing. You might not get it right every time. You might you might find things that you don't like, but this idea of connecting like actual textures, real emotions to the music, you know, it's what composers do. And when we're improvising, we are spontaneously composing. So it's good to just get also it's good to get out of like scale arpeggio. You know what I mean? Right. Eighth notes, triplets, I'm a robot. jazz robot. <laughs> listening, listening can help always too. So Yeah. yeah. Great stuff, great stuff.